Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Grateful to uh, see all of you. Uh, what an exciting time. I uh, would like to recommend Tracy that in, an order, in addition to being able to order T-shirts, it would be really cool if we could get some of those conductor hats because those, really, uh, those are really snazzy. It would be really nice to get some of those as well. Hey, um, I want to um, start by reminding you all that we have a, a special farewell today. Uh, Terry and Essie Childers, who many of you know, have been part of this church family for a long time, made an everlasting impact on our church and our community. Um, they're going to be transitioning to Abilene, Texas, and so uh, there's going to be a reception for them today from 1 to 2.30. So if you get a chance, swing back by after lunch and wish them well. For those of you who are new to our church, and we have a lot of people who are new to our church, uh, starting point today, we had six new families come and participate in that experience. For for those of you who are new to our church, my name is uh, Greg Anderson, and I've served as one of the ministers here for almost five and a half years now. Um, I'm going to be on staff for two more weeks. And then we'll transition to work with Hope Network Ministries. We're still going to be part of this church family. We praise God that we don't have to move and that we get to hang out with you wonderful people, hopefully for many, many more years to come. But over the past several weeks as I prepared for today's lesson, uh, I've just been prayerfully processing a question, and that is, if I only had one text to preach, what would it be? I actually have three more sermons to preach today, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. But those last two sermons um, address expectations related to the lead minister search and church leadership. And so I look forward to sharing those messages with you. But as I contemplated the answer to the question, if I only had one text to preach, what would it be? There were several texts that came into my mind and kept tugging at my heart, but there was one that I just couldn't get away from. It just kept pulling me deeper in, so much so that I just couldn't ignore it. And the passage I'm talking about is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and I want to read that with you now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So to really understand this text, we have to see how Galatians 5 is situated within the greater story of God. So where then should we begin? I sometimes find the best place to begin is in the beginning. So I encourage you to explore a few verses with me from Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Genesis 2, beginning at verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, 
And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So as we think about this text, one of the things that we notice is that God placed man in the garden for two reasons. To work the garden and to take care of the garden. This is before the fall. So these are blessings given from God to humankind. To work the garden and to take care of the garden. So as a result, man could then be nourished by the fruit of the garden, especially the fruit from the tree of life, which had nothing to do with man's labor and everything to do with God's eternal nature. Now, we don't, we don't know much about the tree of life. We know it's a very powerful source of healing and strength. It's described this way after the fall of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. We also know that this tree is present at the beginning, as we just read in Genesis chapter 3, and it will be present at the end. And beyond, and that its healing powers are eternal. Notice the following text from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This tree is so powerful, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. You see, it's not only tree in the beginning, tree at the end. It is working and serving God. So much has happened and so much is happening between the tree of life in the garden and the tree of life in the new Jerusalem. In his book, Between Two Trees, a book I didn't know existed before this phrase popped into my head, but for which I am now super grateful, Shane Wood describes it this way. And so, the Bible ends where it begins, in a garden paradise. 
God with humanity enjoying the shade of the tree of life. The problem is life isn't lived under Eden's tree of life or beneath the healing leaves of the tree in the new Jerusalem. Life is lived between these two trees. And between these two trees, life is hard. Can I get an oh yeah? Life between the trees stretches us. Sometimes to the point of breaking. Life between the trees presses us down, sometimes to the point of crushing. Life sometimes causes us to cry out, God, where are you? Lord, have you forgotten me? Is anybody there? Is anybody listening? Between the two trees, life is hard. But if we make a subtle shift of our understanding of life between two trees, the tree of life in the original garden of God and the tree of life in the future city of God, if we just make a subtle shift in our understanding, then instead of being consumed by the hardness of life, we are empowered by the holiness of God to reframe our purpose in life and the hope and purpose that we can legitimately, as we reframe, we can legitimately offer to others. So I want to dig a little deeper into this tree of life. Let's sit for a moment under its canopy. And let's marvel at what we find there. Let's, let's taste its fruit and see that it is good. And let's share it with others as we partner with God to restore His creation, a creation that was disrupted by a serpent waiting to strike. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it, or you will die. <laughs> you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. 
A lot of us in this room have read this passage so many times, it's easy for us to read it and not be moved by it. And yet, this episode reveals the devastating impact of breaking covenant with God. If I can borrow from Shane Wood again, he describes it this way. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they were not merely disobeying a command, although indeed they were. They were not just committing an indiscretion, although indeed they did. The action was more dire. The result more severe. For sin is willful union with something or someone other than God. He writes a little later, the problem of Genesis 3 wasn't only an infraction of the law, it was far worse. Humanity became one flesh with death. Now the contrast is evident. When we study God's intentions and we compare that with humankind's disobedience. I want you to see two passages here side by side. Genesis 2, 24, 25. Adam said, he's now talking about his wife Eve. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for God took her out of man. And that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is covenant language. The text says they become one flesh, but it actually means much more than that. They become one emotionally and one mentally. And as they pursue God together, they even become more one spiritually speaking. This is covenant language. This is what God intended. But I want you to notice what happened as a result of disobedience. The woman sees the fruit. It's good and pleasing for the eye, and it's desirable for gaining wisdom. So she takes it, and she eats it, and she gives it to her husband who's with her, and he eats it. And then both of their eyes are open. Do you see the covenant language in the one instance? Do you see words pop like united? Do you see words like or phrases like they become one? And then do you see the individual pronouns that become so prevalent in the latter? She does this because it's best for her. He does this because it's best for him. And then both of their eyes are open. And so the question then becomes their eyes are open to what? Well, their eyes are open to something other than what God intended. And the results here are immediate. They experience shame. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. They shift the blame. Eve says, oh, it was the, the serpent made me do it. And Adam said, the woman made me do it. Oh, by the way, he also blames God. The woman you gave me made me do this. And as a result, nothing is the same. Nothing is the same. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to right now, nothing is the same. From that moment in time, humankind partnered with death. If I had a year to preach on this, I, I couldn't completely plumb the depths of all that happens in this turn of events. But I, I want to encourage you this morning to, to please grasp one truth with me. And that is this, the world God intended is not the world we live in. But the world we live in provides opportunity to restore the world that God intended. Church, are you with me? 
You see it here in the text. You see it from when we think about why Jesus came to the earth to reconcile, to restore, to recreate anew. Michael Heiser in his book, The Unseen Realm, puts it this way, all humans are divine imagers, but in our fallen condition, we don't often image God as we are able and as he intended. So here's a question I want to process with you this morning. How do we do that? How do you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we help restore the world that God intended? Well, I believe the answer is twofold. I believe we work the garden of God, and I believe we take care of the garden of God. Work the garden, take care of the garden. Do you remember what the trees in the garden produced? What did the trees produce? Good fruit. For those of you who may have drifted off, let's look at Genesis 2.9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God made trees that are beautiful. They're a reflection of his nature and of his glory. And he made trees that produced fruit. Fruit that wasn't just edible. There's all kinds of things that are edible, but it doesn't mean that it tastes good, right? I mean, have you ever tried tofu? I mean, it's edible, but it's not, it's not taste good. So God makes trees here that have fruit that's, that's not just edible, but, but, but fruit or food that's good to eat. Food that is life-giving. Food that is fully from God, but on trees that were expected to be tended and harvested by man. Remember, humankind was placed in the garden to work the garden and take care of it. That was God's intention. And you know what's amazing? There is nothing in Scripture that tells us that, God intention, that God's intention changed. I mean, man was cursed because of his choices, a curse that was reversed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, praise God. But man's curse didn't change God's intention, which in a nutshell is this, work to take care of what God has given you. And you might think, well, that sounds great as an Old Testament theme. I'm not really sure how applies to us today. Well, you you might want to rethink that. Consider these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for, say it with me, works of service. You see the word work? You see the word serve? Doesn't that sound a whole lot like work the garden, take care of the garden? So that the body of Christ may be what? Built up, there's more taking care of language until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. What happens to fruit over time? It ripens, right? So that it gives life. Exact same language here. Growing, maturing, so that we attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Look at these words. Think about their original intentions, equipped for works of service. What do you know? That's just working for and taking care of others. Is it any wonder that Jesus refers to himself this way? In John chapter 15 and verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much, say it with me, fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And that brings us to the heart of the matter. When we, when we work to take care of what God has given us, something amazing begins to happen. We begin to bear fruit. But it's not just any fruit. I'm talking about fruit that is manifested by the very tree of life that we read about in Genesis 3 and Revelation 22, fruit that heals the nations, fruit that is from the Holy Spirit of God. Hear the word of the Lord again from Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These attributes, these characteristics. How many of you describe your places of work using these terms? Oh, my coworkers are so kind. They're so patient. My boss is so loving. He or she has so much self-control. How about when you talk about your spouse? Oh, my husband or my wife is the most patient person. So loving, so kind, so filled with goodness. What about when you talk about your children? What about when you talk about your church? What about when you take a long look in the mirror? Do you see looking back at you patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? As covenant people of God, we should expect to see this fruit of God's Holy Spirit because if we do not, then it means that we fell into the exact same trap Adam and Eve fell into. It means that we're getting our nourishment from the wrong source. And and you want to know what happens when we covenant with death? Paul describes it this way in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, take just a moment and process the difference between these two passages of Scripture. I mean, quite, quite frankly, it's shocking, isn't it? It's certainly sobering. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes the outcomes of those who work and take care of what God has given them. Not in the works-based salvation sense, but in the this-is-what-brings-pleasure-to-God sense. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul describes the outcomes of partnering with death. And do you notice something? Do you notice that that list is twice as long? That's a devastating impact, a testimony to the devastating impact of partnering with death. And this is why it's critical that as followers of Jesus Christ, we work to take care of what God has given us. Does the fruit of the Spirit, when you look at the list on the left, doesn't that describe the very nature and ministry of Jesus himself? We see this giftedness in him and throughout his ministry and beyond. How are these gifts manifested? God God sent him to earth, and he made him a son of Adam. And ultimately, between the two trees, God allowed his son to be raised up on another tree, a tree of death, so that you and I might be reconciled to God's original intention. Paul describes the scope of the distance between the two trees and the turning point that gives us hope and purpose. Paul describes it this way in Romans 6. For the wages of sin is, say it with me, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more observation from Shane Wood and then we'll close. The wages or the essential end of sin or the necessary conclusion of sin is indeed death because sin is union with death. Sin isn't just a debt for which death is the consequence. Sin is willful union with death. Ingestion of death. Deformation. And thus Christ's cross can't only be transferring humanity from the status of guilty of a damnable offense to innocent of all charges. Sin is uncreation becoming one flesh with death, which limits our capacity to unite with others, with God, and even with ourselves, humanity created in the image of God, now marred with death's sting. Thus, since the problem of Eden is far more pervasive than first thought, so too must be the solution. And that solution is Jesus Christ. 
Adam and Eve chose disobedience, and the result was death. Jesus chose obedience, and the result was and is life. And when Jesus chose life, the results were immediate. We are free from our shame. Hebrews 12, 2. We no longer carry the blame. Galatians 3, 24. And nothing is the same. From an empty tomb all the way to eternity. Church, I challenge you to work to take care of what God has given you. If we commit to that, then the fruit will come. We will be believers individually and an entire church collectively like the list you see on the left. And I can't think of any better way to be described. Can you imagine if people in our community said, oh, that church, wow, that's one of the most loving churches I've ever been a part of. I've never been around people who are so patient and who are so gentle and who are so kind. I've never seen people exhibit such self-control, even when everything around them seems to be chaotic. Think about your own life. You get to the end of your life, and you're lying in a casket in front of a crowd someday, and the, and the person who's offering the eulogy of your life, can you imagine if that person said about you, oh, he or she was so kind. They were so gentle. They were just so good. That's the life that yields the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to talk more, if your life looks more like the list on the right and you're just tired, you're just tired of carrying the weight, I would love to talk to you about being baptized and having all of those sins washed away, being made new in Christ even before we leave this place today. And I'm going to go right back to the Welcome Center while we're singing a song together, and I'd love to meet you there. Maybe it's for prayer or you just want to have a, an affirming conversation with someone. Whatever is on your heart, um, go ahead and make your way over to the Welcome Center while we stand together and while we sing.